Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I have a good episode for you today. Super interesting. Uh, look, we all know that burnout is a problem in vet medicine, but how big of a problem is it? Can we put a number on that problem? Can we put a dollar figure on that problem? That's what we get into today with my guest, Dr. Clinton Neal. Dr. Neal is currently an assistant professor in veterinary economics for the Cornell Center of Veterinary Business and Entrepreneurship. Dr. Neal's got some new research out, and I want to go through it with him on what is the economic cost of burnout in vet medicine. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Clint Neal. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Andy. Oh, man, my pleasure. Uh, So you and I met uh, about two years ago in the before times at the Women's Veterinary Leadership Summit, and you were doing some uh, presentations there and you were doing some research. You do a lot of research uh, with the AVMA, correct? And their uh, economic uh, summit? Yep, Um, I've been doing work with AVMA since my, when I started my PhD actually uh, back in 2014. And that has kind of evolved over time on different topics and things. And so when we met a couple of years ago, I was doing a bunch of work on gender wage gaps, which I had a big JAFMA article come out earlier this year. And then now we're, we're moving on to new things. So, so yeah, you're, uh, you're also, you're, I guess your, your main, your main job is at Cornell, right? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So, uh, I'm at Cornell now before when we met a couple of years ago, I was at Virginia tech and I was actually getting ready to interview for this position at Cornell. And so my job here at Cornell now is working for the College of Veterinary Medicine and specifically through their brand new center for veterinary business and entrepreneurship. And so it's big center. We're focusing on, we've got a big research component, which is kind of what I'm leading, a big education component to give every veterinary student that comes through Cornell, you know, business education so that they, (laughs) you know, know what's going on in the industry and and things like that. Um, Then we have an outreach and entrepreneurship and an entrepreneurship uh, piece as well to help, you know, with innovation, both inside the university and the college, as well as outside with our partners. That's fantastic. I love it. I, I'm such a big fan of business education in vet schools um, and, and out of vet schools, but business, business education for vet professionals is hugely important. I I wanted to talk to you today. I, I saw um, last month in JAVMA, there was an article that came out. It was talking about burnout's economic toll on veterinarians. And so you had uh, done the line share of the research on that and, and sort of uh, putting putting forward a pretty strong case about the economic damages that are done by burnout. And I think this is really important. I, I you know, obviously burnout is something that, that I care a lot about and I, I think it's a real problem in our industry. But I, I do think that digging into the economic implications and ramifications of burnout could be a really good tool for motivating uh, some of the some of the corporate practices, uh, practice owners in general, to prioritize, uh, you know, wellness and 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 burnout prevention strategies. And so, so I want to unpack that with you a little bit. Uh, make make an economic case for me uh, for uh, for preventing burnout. I guess is where we're going. And so to start with that, let me, let me, let me start, let me toss you a softball, I guess, just to start with, like, what is, what is burnout in an economic context? So can you just go, let's start by defining terms. Yeah. So I like to take that back a step slightly to what, you know, what burnout really is. And because understanding what burnout is in that context of 
how it's actually defined by the you know World Health Organization and those types of things has a really big meaning. And then we kind of extrapolate to what are the economic outcomes of that. Sure. Um, and so, according to you know World Health Organization WHO, you know it's a phenomenon that happens at work. It is all about work. It's not about necessarily about you know what's going on personally. It's about work having a really big impact on you know the amount of stress you're you're getting and how much you know that affects how much how well you're able to work and i'm trying to put my thoughts together but it's really about these feelings of energy depletion and exhaustion and just really cynicism towards your job and that's kind of where burnout is defined and when we take that we think okay well i don't like my job right okay what tends to happen right we maybe don't do all the tasks that we're supposed to be doing, right? And this is across all fields, yeah, right? Sure. We don't want to go to work. We may call in sick more. We may, you know, try to reduce how much we're working. And if it gets bad enough, we want to leave, right? And yeah. find a new job. And so those are kind of the economic co- outcomes of that, which is what's happening to the labor force, right? Which is reducing those work hours, leaving their jobs, or even retiring early for a lot, for some people, which we see as, a, as an effect as well is that they're at the end of their careers, they're burned out, and they just don't want to be there anymore, so they retire early. Yeah, I, w- I would push into that a little bit and say, uh, you know, one of the things when you talk about sort of work output, you know, our, our job as veterinarians is, is patient advocacy a lot. Like, we're, we're advocating for patients. And people who are burned out just don't want to do it. You, ju- you know what I mean? Like, when you're burned out, the idea of getting up and really trying to be persuasive to get people to do what they should do it, it's monumentally hard. And so, so the idea that, that someone who's burned out would have a significant drop in their, in their productivity in the practice, that makes perfect sense to me. Even if they don't change jobs, even if they're not reducing their hours, they're just working much less effectively. And, um, and yeah, I mean, we've all probably gone through periods of that where we just, it's just hard to get up for the, get up for the, uh, to do the flea talk yet again. Yeah. And I, and that's the other kind of things that you're pointing straight to, right? Which is, you know, there's some cases in the human medical world, you know, burnout leads to increased medical errors and these other types of outcomes that just aren't good for, yeah. you know, medicine in any sort. So <laughs> not good for, not good for anybody. All right. Yeah. So, okay, cool. So I think, I think it's pretty easy to grasp the idea. Go, okay. If that's how you define burnout and you see how burnout interacts with people showing up and doing their job it's not hard to believe that, yeah, this is going to have an economic impact. How do you actually calculate any sort of, like, okay, so walk me through the math. Because I think up to this point, this is really easy. I have no idea how to, how to calculate lost, uh, lost wages, uh, economic impact uh, from, from burnout like this. So, so give me a mile high view of kind of, how do you even start to look at a problem like that? Yeah, and so I, you know, the methodology I follow here is, in this larger article and, and the work we've been doing is called a cost consequence analysis. And so that's purely really comes from kind of this medical, human medical side of literature. We follow a bunch of stuff in JAMA and those types of things. But the big thing is understanding two key components, which is how much revenue is a person bringing in to, okay. a, to a business or a practice in this case, in vet med, right? And then how much, and that's going to, we can kind of back out, okay, so if they're working this many hours a year and they're bringing in $300,000 for the practice, right, you can kind of figure out what an sure. hourly cost is, 
if they're not working that hour. When we think about turnover, which is kind of the other, the two big pieces we look at are reduced working hours, which I kind of talked about, and then turnover. When somebody leaves your practice, right, you're losing revenue because they're no longer there. And when you have to fill that position, right, you have to spend money to try to find somebody. Mm-hmm. When you find somebody, you have to train them. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not insignificant. Like, I think people blow that off, right? Like bringing in someone new into your practice, they're not they're not going to be at their maximally productive uh, level the first day. Anyone who's who's had a new person come in knows that. Like it's going to be three months before they really start to get up to where they to where they're going to generate revenue that's comparable to what they'll probably generate going forward. Right. And so the the way we kind of look at that is look at what is it for search costs is how we call it, or which is like all the money that goes into like posting a job and where are you posting it and all those costs and recruiting and interviewing and the time spent by other people to do all of that. And then looking at, you know, just training and all of that. And so replacement costs, there's a lot of estimates for this and we kind of vary what we do here, but it's about two thirds to three quarters of a annual salary for a vet. And so that's kind of what we, we use as a mark as we look at average salary or not salary in this case, but average income because people are in production. But um, And then kind of back out that two-thirds to 75% of that and then kind of add all this up and, and look at you know the probability of you being burned out and those types of things. So the complicated part really is just figuring out people who are turning over, reducing work hours, those types of things, how much of that is actually due to burnout. And we have some data to, to help back all that up. But Getting those costs is really just about understanding what revenue are you missing when somebody's not there, reducing work hours or turning leaving and you have to hire somebody, those types of things. Talk, talk to me a little bit about the probability of being burnt out, because that, that's an interesting statistic, right? So in order to calculate this, we have to know like what percentage of veterinarians are, are burned out. So t- talk to me about those numbers a little bit. Yeah, so this is, you know... All this work was done in conjunction with AVMA, um, and you brought up a, a point earlier that I just want to touch back on. You know, all of this work about calculating the economic cost was to kind of motivate and give us something really tangible to talk about to address the problems. And so, when we started talking about this, Matt, Dr. Matt Sloy and I with AVMA Economics Division, it was all this actually happened before the before times. <laughs> And we were trying to build up and trying to understand, you know, people are burned out. Mm. The issue of burnout in VetMed has been growing for a while and has been increasingly talked about. And so what they did, they as an AVMA, when they do their annual uh, surveys through the economics division, one of them is the, I think they do a census, it's called the census of veterinarians that they do every year, which is just a random sample. But within that, they ask a set of questions. Uh, from the professional quality of life scale that actually has questions about burnout and comp- compassion fatigue and these types of things. And from that, we can construct a measure of whether somebody is burned out or not. And so that's kind of how we get that data. And then we also are observing through that survey data, do they want to reduce their work hours? Why do they want to reduce their work hours? Did they leave their job? Those types of things. And so that we kind of grab that measure of burnout through these types of questions and then kind of use that to create these probabilities and these these calculations. <laughs> did did you see different different probabilities in different segments of practice? Definitely. Um, so when we look at we broke it down into kind of four well, yeah, four categories and we look at the overall. 
Um, we look at companion animals. We look at equine practitioner, food animal, and mixed practices. We see that burnout was really high among the mixed practice uh, associates. So mm-hmm. we don't really look at practice owners because they actually don't have a lot of burnout. Really? Um, that was very few. It was a very low probability of having burnout if you're a practice owner. That, that, that's fascinating to me. Okay. So, yeah. so you buried the lead there. I was like, wow, really? That's, <laughs> that's great. I mean, I, yeah. As a business owner, I'm like, oh man, this is stressful as heck. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's part of it is that they also, practice owners kind of get told, have a little bit more say about when they work and how much they're working and those types of things. And yeah. So, no, I think that's a good point. I think, I think autonomy is a big part of it, right? Uh, even even though you bear the responsibility, they they maybe have some more levers in work life balance that associates don't don't have. Right, and so when we look at associates with this work, um, mixed practice mixed practices, um, I think had ended up having a higher level of burnout. Well, companion animal actually had the highest level of burnout, and then it was mixed and equine were about equal. I'm looking at my numbers here. <laughs> you saw about sixty two percent of companion animal associates were burned out. Uh, at least a, a moderate level of burnout. And then it kind of goes down to 56% for equine mixed and then fruit animals had the lowest at 51%. So okay, hold on. Wait, the lowest is half the people are burned out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. All right. Oh, it's one of those laughs to stop from crying things. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 enormous. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's again, moderate level of burnout. So there's a scale of like, yeah, no, that, I think that's this. a good point. Yeah. Burnout is not a, uh, you know, it's not a zero sum binary thing. You're burnout or you're not. There's, there's definitely levels to that. Yeah. And this is moderate. So this is people who score at least in the middle range and upwards. Um, if we get into those upward ranges, so you're still talking like 48%, 30 to 40% of vet med. So yep. not an insignificant change. <laughs> Hey guys, I just want to hop in real quick with an update on a couple of things over on the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. That is the podcast I do with Stephanie Goss on veterinary business. We got a question from the mailbag. It is, what do I do about my cowboy technician? This is a technician who takes risks. They put themselves in harm's way. They've been bitten recently. And when they're talked to about taking risks with their body and themselves, they act like it's not a big deal. They don't see a problem. They act like... um, like taking risks is what makes them good at their job. That's not true. How do we reach this person? How do we change their behaviors? Because they guys you can't put yourself at risk like this. Hard conversations. That's what we do. That's what we talk about on the podcast. So anyway, wherever you get your podcast, Uncharted Veterinary Podcast, I'll put a link directly to the episode in the show notes. Check it out in education news. Guys, on March the 9th, we are having our last in our strategic planning series. Stephanie Goss is taking the lead and leading her workshop called If You Can't Measure It, You Can't Manage It, all about the metrics. If you need to get your head straight and get a dashboard so you can look at your practice and see what is going on and know how you're doing and know how to make some decisions and have some hard numbers to back up the choices that you have to make, you need to be in this in this, uh, in this workshop. It is free to Uncharted members. It is 99 bucks to the public. That's all it is. Uh, it is it is a fantastic deal. If you need this, you need this. It is March 9th. It is at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, jump in, get registered. I'll put a link in the show notes. And the last thing is 
the April conference. It is the April Uncharted Veterinary Conference. It is in person in my hometown in Greenville, South Carolina. If you've never been to an Uncharted conference, it is magic. It is not a conference, it is a community. It is where we come together and we build relationships and we support each other and you get to meet positive, excited, enthusiastic people who are doing cool things and new things and who see possibilities in the future and who are excited about vet medicine. If that sounds like you and you're like, I wanna be around people like that, this is how you make it happen. You should get on the plane, you should come to Greenville, you should meet these people, you should be a part of Uncharted. And um, when you come to the Uncharted conference, you're not there for two or three days. Oh, no, 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 you're in for a year. You're gonna come in, you're gonna do the live event, and then you're gonna stay in, the, in, the, uh, in our online community, and you are gonna get support and encouragement throughout the whole year. It is the conference that does not end. It is truly different and unique. Ask anybody who's been in Uncharted and been a part of it. It is something truly special. Anyway, if that sounds exciting to you, if you're like, gosh, that sounds like it would fill me back up. I've kind of lost my passion. I've kind of lost my spark. I just I need something to get me reignited. That's what we do at Uncharted. Come and check it out. Don't miss this. Take, 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 take the gamble. Come and see if it's for you. It might just be the thing that you desperately need. Anyway, guys, that's enough of that. Let's get back into this episode. Talk, talk to me a little bit about support staff here, right? So we're talking a lot about veterinarians, right? You, you do have you do have information on, on support staff as well, right? Yeah, specifically veterinary technicians and slash nurses, depending on you know where you're at and how you define that. Um, when we look at those, you know their their burnout rate, they some of that work had been done by you know NAVDA, the North American Vet Tech Association, or I can't remember. Yep, no, you, got, you, you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. North American Vet yeah. Tech Association. Yeah. yeah. They they did some numbers and these are a little bit older numbers, but um, they're looking at like 41% of, of vet techs are burnt out or have okay. compassion fatigue of some sort. But that rate of turnover for them is still pretty high as well. So that's a big piece of that as well. And we don't really, I don't have any numbers on that from different perspectives of different practice types, but you know, it's it's a problem across both support staff as well as as the doctors themselves. And that's kind of a big piece that well, I can't dig into those numbers as much as I want in the data. Yeah, uh, it's a it's important to know that and kind of take into account like this matters to the whole industry, not just one piece. Yeah. So in, in your in your research, you put forward that um, if you look at the economic impact of burnout in veterinarians, we're talking about a billion dollars a year in lost revenue attributed to burnout. And then we said, if you add in veterinary technicians, it goes up to basically 2 billion, right? It's like 1.9 billion. So I, I was really yeah. struck by, if we go with these numbers, the, the, the basically the economic impact of the veterinary technician burnout is, is almost equal from a revenue standpoint to the doctors. I think it'd be easy to say, well, a burned out doctor is a greater financial liability than burned out technician. And, and, and I don't know, if I, I assume that that comes a lot from there are more technicians in a practice than a doctor, maybe having a smaller financial impact individually. But when you add together burned out technicians across the practice, you end up with almost the same economic impact as burned out doctors. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, you hit it, you hit the nail on the head with that. You know, you've got over, you know, over 100,000 vet techs working across, you know, all of these different practices. And then you're also probably have about a sixty to eighty thousand actual veterinarians that are mm -hmm. associates and not practice owners. So it's a pretty big number. Um, the other big piece here is that the cost of a vet tech leaving your practice 
is more than what you're paying that vet tech is what we actually find. And that's kind of a key component to that as well. So break that down for me a little bit. Um, why, why is that the case? How, how can it how could it possibly cost me more to lose, to have a vet tech leave than to keep a vet tech and continue to pay them? Right. Well, I mean, think about it. When, you know, you have a vet tech leaving, right? How much work are they actually doing keeping yeah. that practice running? Then my vet tech, like all of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, and think how about it. And think how many vet techs do you have per doctor in your practice? Yeah. So uh, it been, you know, it, as there's a variation across, across the industry, but it's probably three to four in my practice. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you have one person down, that's, you know, 25% of <laughs> the work is, you know, being having to be distributed across other people, which yeah. means they're doing less work. And so it kind of compounds. It's not just that vet tech leaving. It's the fact that they're leaving. Other people have to look at the slack, which means they can't do as much work or they're doing too much work and burning themselves out. Right. And so a lot of that comes from the fact that vet techs help bring in that revenue that a doctor is bringing in just as much as the doctor itself. And so when they turn over, they're not able to help contribute to that revenue generation. And that's kind of the important piece that we find there. Yeah. So there's opportunity costs, basically, is what we're talking about, right? Yeah, it, exactly. Which is the, the big economics term that we like to, <laughs> economists like to throw around as opportunity costs is what can we be doing with that time? Uh, yeah, that, that does make sense. What's the next best alternative to our time, right? Which is not trying to hire another person and not trying to do other people's work. So, <laughs> what, what does that number mean when we say a billion dollars in lost revenue or uh, or two billion dollars if we factor in vet techs? Like, is that a lot? Is that a little? I, mean, I think if we look at at, a, at a, the whole industry, I, I honestly don't have a good like. We're, we're talking about imaginary money at this point to me. <laughs> you know, like I, this is theoretical money. It's like it's a it's a it's a bajillion bajillion dollars. What, what is that? What is that money actually? How, what are we talking about? Yeah, and I think it's um, it is important to say that you know all these numbers are really the opportunity costs, right? That okay. even if we didn't have as much turnover in these types of things, right? Is it really going to be two billion dollars? Maybe there's also other things we're not taking into account in the work that I've done. But yeah, taking well, that number and kind of moving that forward. Well, even, uh, even even what we were talking about before is say you know we were looking at lost hours or, or job turnover. Oh, I don't know how you calculate decrease effectiveness. You know, communicating with pet owners, uh, but to me that's significant driver. So all of this is going to be a little bit, you know, a, a little a little bit of of kind of shades of gray. Yeah, some kind of some hand waving, and can you have to kind of squint your eyes a little bit, and you can sort of see it. But but it's important to get a, a general a general perspective of what we're talking about. Yeah. And so when we, we look at like a billion dollars, let's start there. Um, you know, that's like 2% of the total revenue for the whole industry in the U.S. Okay. So not a large percentage of the industry, right? You're talking about a 2% gain just from vet tech or from veterinarians. If you had vet techs, right, it's probably another like almost 2% of that. So 4% of the whole industry, if we mm -hmm. round up. So it doesn't seem like a lot. But if you put that in perspective and you look at what I've enjoyed doing was taking the amount of debt from the 2020 graduating class from all the vet schools. And if you look at that, the amount of revenue that you're not generating, say if that we take that number as given, could pay back all that debt twice over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that's a number that is a little more tangible than going, oh, it's 2% of an industry that generates, you know, $46 billion in revenue, right? It's, yeah. There's these different pieces of how we can think about it, but, you know, 500 million 
you know, $500 million in debt for the 2020 graduating class of vet med. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a lot of revenue that can help pay back debt and reduce that stress and those types of things as well. Yeah. I, w- I wonder whether it break down to it at an individual practice level, right? So uh, if you say companion animal practices generally have the highest level of burnout and you're talking about, you know, say 4%, uh, 4%, you know, productivity loss. Uh, what does that translate to as a practice? Would that be, you know, a 4% increase in, in, in overall gross revenue? Uh, probably, probably more than that if you're looking at companion animal. And, and I'm sure it's also very uh, practice type specific, geography specific, all, all those sorts of things. If, if you have a practice that, that doesn't have a lot of burnout, then you're probably, you know, you're probably not that negatively affected, but that means that somebody else has probably got a burnout problem and they're probably significantly more affected. Yeah. And I, I don't, I won't say I don't have those exact numbers, I think, to the question you're asking. But if we, like, for companion animals, like, that's where most of the cost is coming from, right? Because it's also the largest part of the industry. Um, You've got almost 56,000 companion animal associates. (laughs) Yeah. And so if you look at kind of what their numbers, total costs for the companion animal part of the industry and kind of break down just averaging across everybody, those burned out and not, you're looking at, like, 17 grand of, that okay that's yeah that's that's what i was looking for Seven, yeah. so yeah so seventeen thousand dollars per vet kind of give or take rough math man that's not insignificant <laughs> no and if you and if you take that number and you take out all the people who aren't burned out right you're still so that number is just going to go up you're talking probably more around 25 to thirty thousand. so yeah so oh yeah so when you remove the non-burned out vets which is you know 30 40 percent of them uh maybe when they come out and you just look at the impact on the on the burned out vets you're you're looking even higher than that yeah that's that's significant that that makes sense to me you know saying and again we're 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 kind of fudging the numbers here just for for conversation sake but looking at at a burned out doctor and saying that person's burnout is twenty five thousand dollars a year like that that seems right to me like I, I, I i'm not blown away by that number that i can i can 100 percent see how that would that would shape up into that level of lost revenue right and i'm, yeah. I'm not saying this as a way of increasing more revenue but rather as a way of looking at the price that burnout takes on a practice yeah and so even if you think about so say you've got a 10 doctor practice and three of them are burned out right that's almost a hundred thousand dollars in revenue that's 75 grand yeah that you're missing out on, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then, you know, that, and that's that's also bottom line money too, right? Like you've already probably covered your your hard costs. This is practice profitability. This is you know this is this is staff salary money. This is bonus money. This is profitability on the practice money. Like this is this is money that you could actually use to affect, uh, you know, the life of the people who work there and and to make significant changes because it's all this is all this is all gravy, right? This is the profitability of the practice that's that's being eaten away, not the hard costs, right? I mean, because that that is profitable overall in general. I mean, not every practice is, but most practices are. And the industry itself is producing like twelve percent profit over cost. So, <laughs> are are these numbers significantly different from other professions? Like, are um, we a burned out profession compared to other com- professions? I guess is I, I'd like to. I hear a lot of people. I, there's a lot of there's a lot of na- sort of narratives that are sort of thrown around, especially online. People say this is this the burnout in vet medicine is worse than anything. I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen any numbers to that. Is there anything comparable in other industries that we can look at, even from a financial perspective, and say, oh man, the the toll here is significantly greater than it is in other uh, service type industries? Yeah. So I mean, everything I was doing was based off of studies done in in you know human health positions and those types of things. And so the study I did was pretty much comparable to what they were doing for human health positions. And, 
you know, for, I'm trying to remember what the cost is. I want to say the per doctor cost is higher, but the industry cost isn't because there's a lot more human physicians, right? But, right. but it's, it's pretty high. We, we have a higher level of burnout um, as compared to human physicians based on, it's not comparable, exactly comparable measures because they're measuring it slightly differently, just using a different scale. But, you know, it's not a, not an insignificant amount. And we're probably, vet med is probably slightly more burned out than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, we have higher turnover rates than most of these other industries as well. And I think that kind of reflects that as well. That's, that's fascinating when you look at turnover rate, like especially when you think of the amount of training time that goes into getting a medical professional up and going in vet, you know, in vet medicine, or you think about, so you're talking about credential technicians or veterinarians that ended up, you know, sinking a lot of time and effort into, uh, into their training. And then there's uh, oftentimes there's non-compete, you know, um, oh, I forget the term for it, the contractual term, but the, the, yeah, the non-compete clauses, um, that, that we have that make it, make it hard to leave. And then the fact that you would still see turnover on that, that's pretty significant. Yeah. Um, when I was looking at these numbers, 2020 turnover numbers, you know, which was pandemic and everything else was like 20% for companion animal veterinarians. And I think AHA, the American, the hospital association was animal hospital association was stating like 15% the year prior or something like that. Yeah. So it's, it's much, much larger. And I don't have the, the physician numbers right in front of me, but I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure I know turnouts higher or turnout turnover rates are higher. Gotcha. And then, yeah, just the overall rate of burnout is higher as well. What What do we know as far as root cause? So so when we look at this, like, yeah, where does, where does burnout come from? I mean, if we know the impact that it has, we start to look at me, uh, then immediately to where's it coming from? Yeah, I think, you know, when I was digging into this, I, and I don't have any, like, I'll say I have some data, some anecdotal data about this, just because I haven't, like, done any statistical yeah, yeah. anecdotal things, data. I, you know, <laughs> it's not me asking people what's going yeah, on. Sure. There's actual data behind this. Um, a lot of the, when we would look at why people wanted to reduce their work hours or why they left, a lot of it was because the expectations of what they were told when they were hired or they were told that they were to expect for that year were much lower than what they were actually doing in terms of like how many hours they were working a week, uh, how many emergency days they were working or things like that. And those that tended to be when they said, I want to reduce my work hours because I'm working more than I was expected. I was expecting to work and now I'm burned out. And all those things kind of always came up together. (laughs) That's interesting. So yeah, you know, one of my favorite sayings is people don't get upset about what you give them. They get upset about the difference between what they expected to get and what they got. And uh, yeah, expect- expectations are important. So just for me to say this back to you, uh, one of the continued trends is not just how much people work, but what they expected to work versus what they were actually working. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's spot on. And I and the way that that's going, right, I don't think any anybody can work less hours at this point. <laughs> I don't feel like, like, I think all practices are busy. I think they need people to work and that's either hire more people and everybody works less hours, right? Which isn't always feasible or everybody needs to work, continue to work the amount of hours they're working. And so how do you make, I think just bringing that expectation up front and being like, no, you're going to work, you know, the need is I need somebody to work 60, 70 hour weeks. I'm not going to tell you you're going to work 40 and then work 60, right? I think that's kind of 
where the conversation needs to lead a little bit um, and kind of not misalign people's expectations with yeah. reality. But therein lies the rub, right? My um, my wife and I are still waiting on a package for Christmas. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're recording this the week after Christmas, but uh, it did not show up in time. And she's quite frustrated me. Because we sat down together, and we decided to order this thing, and we looked at a number of different uh, a number of different places that were selling it, and we went with the place that said they could deliver it by Christmas, and they totally did not. And now, you know, and now we're miffed, but we still placed the order with those guys. You know what I mean? And uh, it's 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 almost like one of those things. I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, expectations are key, and we should be honest about what people are getting into. Um, I think the fear that a lot of people have is if I'm the only one who's honest then everyone else is going to, you know, everyone else is going to, is going to tell a fairy tale and, uh, and we're going to lose people. But I think that, I think that that type of, I think that transparency is the answer to that. Do you, don't you agree of saying, this is what you can expect when you come to this hospital and, you know, and having other people to say, yes, that's, that is true. This is what you're getting into. Yeah. I, I, I agree with the transparency piece. And I agree with that piece across a lot of different, you know, different topics. Like I think I argued that for within the gender wage gap work that I had yeah. done and all of that, because just being honest with people. And, and I think that's especially important for these younger generations when you get into the millennials and now the Gen Z's are starting to get into vet school and coming out of vet school. What they care about is honesty and about being up front and just telling them what, what they yeah. are to expect. And I think that's kind of the transparency pieces I, I'm a huge advocate for, I guess is what I'll say. Well, no, I know, I'm a big advocate for it. I also think it's just, it's reality, right? It's a force of nature, uh, which is in the world we live in now where social media is a thing and people have a voice and, and we're all way more connected than we ever were in the past, right? I'm still Facebook friends with the vast majority of people I went to vet school with. And, you know, and I can reach out to them and say, hey, you work in this area. How much do you work? And do you mind me asking what your salary is? And generally, people are very willing to share that information, you know, privately. Um, that didn't used to be the case, right? In vet medicine of old, everyone, they graduated, they went to work in their little practice. They, what, are they going to write a letter to an old classmate? Like, that didn't happen. Uh, but yeah. now it's just, it's, it's, it's wide open. And so now we're starting to see uh, pay scales, which I think are great. You know, um, just wage transparency of this is what you get paid at this level and this is what you get paid at this level and this is how compensation is done. I, I think it's it's been painful for a lot of clinics in vet medicine that were not set up that way. Um, I think it's a good pain. I, I think it's something, it's a transformation people go through. But I, I think that that type of transparency is is really good. And it's just interesting now to, to see. I think we are resetting expectations. Um, I, I think a lot of it is, is in schools, in vet schools. You know, new graduates come out and, and I'll talk to, to vets that are out looking for their first job and they're not they're not dim they're well prepared as far as what is my life going to really be like when i get here you know what what can i when can i expect to leave the building not when does my shift in not when is the last appointment for me scheduled when do i really leave this building and and how am i going to be contacted when i'm when i'm gone and when i'm when i'm at home are you going to be calling me am i going to be doing those things or not and i don't think most of us had the wherewithal to ask those types of questions they were just unheard of uh, in the past, but I, I think that that's the the new world, and so I, I think I think probably ultimately it's going to be really good. Yeah, you know, and and now you have people like me working at a vet school, teaching vet students to yeah. ask these type of questions. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> hey, guys, uh, so uh, at best, fifty percent of you are going to be mildly burned <laughs> out in a few years. Uh, let's talk about that. Yeah, those those are not conversations of old. Uh, Doctor Clint Neal. Uh, Thanks for being here. Where can people learn more about your research? Where can they, uh, yeah, where, where, if they want to look more into this topic, where can they go? 
yeah, I mean, feel free to email me. Um, my email's public through Cornell anyways, um, but we can post it here. Sure, the, absolutely. Feel free to email me directly. But a lot of the burnout stuff, you know, is InventMed is especially new. And so I'm trying to build that out and, and have those resources in a place. We'll hopefully have some stuff out on, on the Cornell website and things like that. Um, working on publishing this stuff as well. So we'll, we're working on that. But um, look into, I mean, look into the position literature. You search burnout and positions, you'll find a lot of stuff there. <laughs> but it, it's all the same things. It's just trying to apply it to vet med and, and trying to figure out, you know, what are the actual solutions to that? And that's kind of the next steps where we're going. So oh, thanks guys. I'll put a link down to the original article that we discussed in the show notes. Uh, the term I was thinking of earlier is restrictive covenant. That's the do not compete clause that came to me later. Uh, things like that. I'm sure there's a million other things that we messed up along the way, but man, what a good conversation. Thank you. Uh, thanks for being here, uh, Dr. Neil and guys, take care of yourselves. I'll talk to you later on. Thanks. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you liked it. I hope you got something out of it. Guys, I got to give a quick shout out right now to Banfield, the pet hospital. Listen, uh, Banfield has given us a generous grant to have transcripts for the podcast. That's right. You can find transcripts of both the Kona Shame podcast and my other podcast, the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast, which is a business podcast. Uh, if you haven't checked it out for vet medicine, it's uh, check it out. You might like it. If you like this one, you might like that one. Anyway, in an effort to increase accessibility, inclusion in the veterinary space, Banfield has uh, has made these transcripts possible. It's a wonderful gift uh, to, to, to my team. Uh, it is a wonderful gift to our audience. We've gotten uh, emails that says, hey, when are you going to have transcripts so that so that people who, uh, who are not able to hear can enjoy this content and can get uh, get information from it? And, uh, and thanks to Banfield, we're able to make that possible. And so I just have to, to thank them for what they do. Um, this was really, it was it was above and beyond. They didn't have to do this, but um, man, it means the world to me. And I am so glad to have these transcripts to put out so that everybody can take advantage of what we're doing here. <laughs> Click the show notes if you want to find the transcripts. Um, and again, thanks to Banfield. Guys, take care. Be well. Talk to you later. Bye.